Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now purchasing tickets for heroic family trip. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian, and it looks like it was Damon's turn to catch COVID this time. So, you know, our thoughts go out to him, but you will still hear him in this episode because he is way much more of a trooper than I am. I could barely even talk when I had COVID, so I gotta commend the guy. He's still part of the second half of our show. But in today's episode, we're talking Miss Marvel Episode 4, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, what's going on with God of War Ragnarok, and AEW's Blood and Guts. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. So this week we got a ton of rumors coming from Marvel regarding the MCU and one of the biggest to start off this week is the potential of a Doom project over at Marvel Studios. While going to commercial on the Howard Stern show, the host got, you know, hot mic'd and mentioned he's working on Doctor Doom. After being asked if he's working this summer, Howard Stern stated, they're going over the schedule with me and it's going to suck. I told you I'm going to do Doctor Doom, that's the thing, but believe me, I'm fucking miserable about it. I called Robert Downey Jr. and I was asking him about acting techniques. This moment has led to wild speculation as it's unclear what Stern's involvement in a Doom project would be. People going as far to claim that he could be up for the role of Doctor Doom himself. But that's highly unlikely if you ask me. Uh, we currently know that Disney is looking for a director to replace John Watts on the Fantastic Four and no updates have really come of that story just yet. But it's possible that if they already have a script and have been working through all the pre-production with an unannounced director, that's sure, Fantastic Four could begin filming later this year, and I could see Stern doing maybe a cameo spot in a Fantastic Four film, but I don't picture Marvel giving Doctor Doom his own film, especially around the same time or even before a Fantastic Four film even came out. We've also speculated here on the show that the Fantastic Four and Doom will play a major role in the next massive event for the MCU, which all signs right now are kind of pointing at Secret Wars, which Doom is a major player in. A look forward towards the future of the MCU is not far away, as Marvel will have a large presence at San Diego Comic-Con this year, along with Disney's own D23. So we'll see if there's any base to the speculation soon enough. One of the big casting rumors around this week has been for our future Wolverine. Reports have come in from the direct about Taron Egerton having been in talks with Marvel Studios to be the next Wolverine in the MCU's official X. Taron Egerton is best known for his role in Kingsman and having played Elton John in Rocketman. While I think Egerton is a great actor and we have seen him really dive into his roles, I mean his performance as Elton John was good even though I didn't really like that movie, it's still going to be hard to picture anyone else in the role other than Hugh Jackman as we have seen him play him over the years. But at least in Egerton's case, he kind of fits the comic book style of the character. He's shorter and I could see him, you know, fitting in that yellow suit better than maybe Hugh Jackman would have. But ultimately, I'm looking forward to seeing what Marvel does with the X-Men. 
We also got some rumors on the Thunderbolts project that has been, you know, said to be in the works. The reported Jake Schreier film seems to be fleshing out its roster a bit after a rumor broke out from Daniel RPK on Taskmaster being a part of the film. Olga Kirilenko, which I think is how you say that, who played um, the MCU's Taskmaster in Black Widow, is set to reprise her role as this report claims. And if this is going to be the team formed by, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier's Valentina Fontaine, then we can expect Taskmaster to join US Agent and Yelena in the future film. In other MCU news, a now deleted source coming from Murphy's Multiverse posted about a Disney Plus newsletter that supposedly had the release date of season two of Marvel's What If series on it. This newsletter having been sent out in the Netherlands claimed season two would release as early as July 20th of this year, along with a picture of the Guardians of the Multiverse to go with it. Now this would be the Wednesday right before San Diego Comic-Con that you know, begins on the 21st. So I could see them kind of releasing bonus episodes at the con if this rumor were true. So with the show coming so quickly, based off of this rumor at least, I'm sure we'll find out some more news about this in the next few weeks as they gotta put some promotion in for it, right? <laughs> and now for some Sony Marvel news as Emma Roberts joins on for Madam Web. Deadline reports that Roberts, best known for her roles like, you know, American Horror Story and most recently Scream 4, joins Dakota Johnson and Sydney Sweeney in the upcoming film. While I'm pretty dejected by all the non, you know, MCU Spider-Man spinoffs right now, I am, you know, at least curious about this one because it remains so unclear where they're going with this kind of project. But honestly, I'm just going to have to keep my expectations as low as possible. Venom and Morbius were enough to just make me not want to see another Sony spinoff film. They make fantastic games. They have other great movies, but for some reason, this just isn't going the right way when it comes to Spider-Man. Speaking of Sony making films that aren't as bad as Morbius, Ghostbusters fans can get excited as the sequel to Afterlife is hitting theaters December 20th, 2023. Deadline reports that director Jason Ritman is back on the project along with the return of writer Gil Kennan. Also speaking of releases, Dune Part 2 seems to have been delayed further into 2023, but the wait won't be too much longer as instead of its October 20th release, Variety reports that the film will be out November 17th, nearly a month later than expected with no specific reason as to why. You can catch our review of Dune Part 1 on episode 199 during last year's Horror Month. Well now before we move on, here's a quick word from a podcast we think you should check out. Hey guys, we, we are, are the Everything Bagel Crew. Every Wednesday, we discuss topics ranging from pop culture to lifestyle and everything in between. We are four friends who come together to rant and rave about everything that interests us. We hope you join us on this chaotic adventure. And be sure to check us out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at The Everything Bagel Crew and also on Twitter at Bagel underscore crew. Yeah. See ya! Alright, Christian, regardless of COVID, I'm here and it's time to break down episode four of Miss Marvel. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Miss Marvel series ahead. You have been warned. Come with me if you want to live. What? Just kidding, I've always wanted to say that. But really, we should go. There's someone you need to meet. 
Last week's episode of Miss Marvel ended with Kamala's grandmother calling her to come to Karachi after having you know a vision of the train during Kamala's fight with the clandestine. And on this episode, it seems Kamala was able to convince her mother to take the trip as we start with the two of them trying to you know call a truce on their flight as they approach Karachi. All I know, Christian, if I was her age and I ruined my sibling's wedding, I'd be in a whole lot more trouble than Kamala is in right now. Yeah. <laughs> I would be getting a vacation somewhere. So, uh, but, you know, whatever. It's TV, right? And I guess I, I, I know that Grandma supposedly convinced the family to come and visit. Um, but the one thing I was surprised about was that Kamala hasn't kind of confessed to her parents at this point. Everything that's been going on with her and the bangle, like, you know, you know that she has these powers now and how she's scared and she's got this group of superpowered, you know, uh, gins coming after her. Because now you have to kind of weigh, like, how far you're willing to go to protect this secret and to what, like, extent and for what reason. Like, is Kamala truly feeling like she wants to be a superhero? So she's trying to protect her secret identity and these powers to protect her family? Or is she just confused and not know exactly what to do? Because if I had a superpower group of, you know, evil jinns coming after me, you know, and I'm not necessarily a trained Avenger, you know, I'm definitely going to explain to my parents exactly what the fuck is going on. Especially if they think I've gone insane and just ruined my brother's, like, wedding. Uh -huh. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> I know they've kind of established that she you know, does have stars in her eyes and, you know, she might possibly want to become a hero at some point. But is it truly worth, like, tearing your family apart over? I mean, I feel like by the end of the season, it will happen. Like, I feel like by the end of the last episode, it'll become clear to the family, at least. Absolutely, 100%. I agree. And I think the only thing that's really sticking with me is the whole wedding, you know, ceremony. Uh -huh. The fact that they saw her pulling the fire alarm and she hasn't given them a reason yet. Just kind of, I don't know, I'm bumping up against that because it just feels like there'd be a lot harder questions asked and some definite fucking consequences handed down, you know, from the parents, uh, especially after she like, you know, snuck out at night to go to the Avenger Con and everything like that. And now she like ruined, you know, this wedding of her brothers. That was a pretty big deal. It just doesn't necessarily feel authentic that a 15 year old would be able to keep this secret at this point. You know, it's not like she's on the Avengers and, you know, she's out there saving the world every week and she's this experienced hero. You know, she's still this scared kid who has little to no experience, you know, with these powers. So, you know, and they might be tied into your family's history. So why aren't you tapping into your family? you know, to get the support, especially seeing how close she actually is to them. No, I definitely felt like this episode was going to start with more confrontation yes. than what we got. And I totally get it. I think you're 100% right. I think the resolution to Kamala and her mother's storyline is going to be eventually Kamala confessing everything that's going on. But the fact that there was such a lack of tension between the two um, and that her family seems just so forgiving <laughs> Especially mm. since Kamala's mom at the end of last episode kind of broached the subject by saying, like, did you know those people that damage control arrested? Like, were they after you? Because you would think as a parent, you'd be terrified, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that this group of thugs came in and like was chasing after your kid. So I don't know. 
doesn't feel like something you'd sweep underneath the rug and try to like move on and like go on a little family holiday, you know, afterwards. Yeah, but I mean, you could think of it as in a way I'm letting, you know, I'm getting her away from that situation. <laughs> I guess like maybe, you know what? And that would have been great. I, I, I think I would probably be bump up against it less if it was something like, okay, we need to get out of here. Let's go, you know, to your grandmother's. That uh, would make more sense story-wise. I was also surprised that Damage Control didn't try to stop anyone that was at that wedding from leaving the country, but that's just another or like whole not thing. like questioning everyone. But yeah, uh -huh. you're right, 100. <laughs> In Karachi, we meet Kamala's cousins along with her grandmother Sana. Once at their family home, Kamala finally gets some alone time with her grandmother to ask some questions. Here we see a lot of similarities between Kamala and her grandmother as we get a look at all of Sana's art. Sana is no stranger to the truth of what her and Kamala are, as she you know casually just explains that they are in fact Jin, at least from what her father explained to her. Sana confirms that the last time the bangle was used was to save her the night she needed to get to the train, which is actually the same train from their vision they had at the end of last week's episode. Sana then suggests if Kamala is to get any further answers, she must find the train. At first I thought it was a little weird that uh, Grandma didn't have more answers for Kamala, mm. but at the same time I'm glad that it wasn't just like an exposition dump. And that like Kamala has to go on her own journey to discover exactly what's going on with her origin story, if that makes any sense. No, oh, yeah, I like I, as we predicted last week, I thought this episode was going to be, oh, the other, you know, grandma has the other bangle and we're going to move on from the story from there. But I think that's a, a journey that Kamala is going to have to take in our next episode. The next day, Kamala goes out with her cousins to sightsee and do mostly tourist activities. But when Kamala suggests, you know, checking out the train yard, her cousins are less than interested in joining her, which gives her the perfect opportunity to go snooping. Though while snooping around, Kamala gets attacked by the notorious Red Dagger. In the comics, Kareem the Red Dagger became an ally of Kamala's after helping her uh, in Pakistan and in the United States. However, here in the show, Kareem seems to know a little bit more about Kamala's great-grandmother Aisha as he recognizes her bangle. Also, during this confrontation, he says something about sensing the power of the Nor on Kamala, but then they don't establish that he has any like powers of his own, which he do I don't believe he does in the comics either. So no, unless yeah. this was a mission that would lead sent Red Dagger on, um, but I, they also didn't establish any powers for him. So I, I thought that was a little weird line, unless they have something, some kind of mystical artifact that detects <laughs> the bangle for some reason. They just didn't really sh like establish that at all. So I, I don't know. It, it stuck out to me. No, it's it's very much left open. Because in the comics, I believe Red Dagger is just a vigilante. Like he's not part of this group that's, you know, protecting Pakistan, you know, from, you know, the supernatural, basically. No, yeah, he has no powers, so I don't... I mean, this is them playing around with the character. I Absolutely. mean, they turned the Red Daggers into a group yeah. instead of it just being one person, so... Yeah, that's what it seems like. So I'll be curious if they do end up giving, you know, him some kind of power set. But as for right now, it doesn't seem like it at all. Just a boy and his daggers. I did enjoy the little tussle that they had here in true comic book fashion. You know, two heroes meet for the first time, so they've got to throw down a little. Um, of course. I'm, I'm loving like Kamala's powers visually. I do think they lead to a lot more interesting possibilities than her flexi powers do in the comics. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm just wondering like how much she's really going to master them in like the next couple episodes. My guess it's going to take a while for her to come into her own when it comes to like mastering them. And that's probably something that they're going to have take place more, you know, once, you know, she hits the big screen on, you know, with uh, Marvel's. So um, maybe like, you know, Carol and Monica, like train with her or something like that. Mm. But just the prospect of like what she's capable of, especially working in like tag team with the other Marvels. Yes. I think that would be fucking awesome. I have a feeling they've only tapped the surface too with what she could possibly do with them. Like, do you think they're going to go full Green Lantern and have her like making different constructs? I don't think she's going to be pulling out like a minigun or anything like that. <laughs> but... I don't know about minigun, but you know, <laughs> a bat. <laughs> Or, you know, I think that's possible. Yes. Like some kind of like light axe or something like that. Uh huh. <laughs> Not a, a machine gun, Christian. <laughs> How many times have I seen Green she's Lantern gonna, do that? She's though. not going to be mowing down motherfuckers. <laughs> like maybe a lightsaber. I, I don't know about a lightsaber. I, I could see a, I guess a sword. I mean, it would be technically a, I mean, a sword it's continuity of light. Yeah. that Star Wars exists in the Marvel Universe. Uh -huh. So, I mean, why not? I could see Spider-Man goading her to make a lightsaber. Uh -huh. <laughs> Upon bringing Kamala to the lair of the Red Daggers, who here in the MCU are going to be a group defending the people of Pakistan, we meet their leader, Walid, who explains further what the Jinn are and where they are from, showing how the Noor is an energy source creating a veil between our world and a parallel dimension. It seems that the clandestine's plans to get home would ultimately tear open a hole in the veil and cause their home dimension to actually consume ours. On top of all that information, Waleen notices there's an inscription on the bangle and is able to actually read it. It states, what you seek is seeking you, which none of them seem to know what exactly that means. So in the MCU, it seems like we're setting up a lot of different dimensions. Um, a lot of people have been, you know, kind of speculating that the Nord dimension is somehow tied into the negative zone. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I, I think it's probably more, you know, tied into like the quantum realm um, because there's still a lot of like Ant-Man, like Easter eggs throughout this series, because mm. even here we have like Ant-Man graffiti on the wall. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's purposeful. I feel like that, you know, eventually we're going to find out that somehow like this dimension is, you know, directly related to the quantum realm. It just feels like they're going to save the negative zone for like the Fantastic Four. You know, it, but who knows? I could be completely wrong. I feel like this is just more an introduction to the concepts of the different dimensions, because even the way that they describe like the veil, they, they call that more of the Noor than calling the dimension itself the Noor dimension. You know, they they just say, oh, the Noor is just this thing that's, you know, this shroud In that's between keeping us from our dimension yeah. and their dimension. Exactly. No, I get that. But I just feel like the Noor is going to end up somehow being part of like the quantum realm or something like that. And maybe I'm just reading the tea leaves too much with all the Ant-Man shit going on. Uh. <laughs> um, but regardless of whatever dimension this all ends up being tied into, if any, um, this is definitely bigger stakes than I expected for Kamala to be involved with this early on. Like I wasn't expecting any like world ending, no. you know, scenarios. Absolutely not. <laughs> But with that being said, because of all that, I'm, I'm expecting that's exactly what gets Kamala on, you know, the Avengers and, you know, Captain Marvel in particular's radar. Kind of similar to 
what we see at the end of uh, Shang-Chi. Meanwhile, at Damage Control Supermax, the clandestine make a pretty easy escape in another kind of less than impressive showing from that crew. I mean, that facility is clearly not up for superhuman abilities. But anyway, upon leaving, Kamran is ultimately left behind by his mother for helping out Kamala in last week's episode. Well, funny that you mentioned that because that's actually the same like facility that's holding Abomination. So I have no idea why there's such a difference and you know their security because it seemed weird to me that they only had a couple of guards like you know walking them down to their cells um you know with their weird little like handcuff over the pipe system i was like what is this yeah i don't know because <laughs> like they were proven to have super abilities so you would think they would take it seriously and i guess they have some serious tech that you know they're guarding them with but I don't know, man. It feels like they would rush them into a prison cell and definitely not keep them all together like uh -huh. that, right? Well, and then they just walk out nonchalantly. Like, there's no alarms, no nothing going on. <laughs> I have a feeling that's more of a budgetary thing, right? Probably, but uh, it's Supermax. Uh, yeah. I can't believe that it's Supermax yes. and nothing's happening. <laughs> that wouldn't, like, trigger a call to the Avengers or something, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Although, I guess at this point, there is no Avengers. So, but after they like so easily arrested them last episode, this felt like a bit of a stretch, you know, for them to escape so easily. So I, I'm 100% with you. That's some cold hearted shit. He just, she just left her son behind. I expected the others to want to leave him behind, but uh -huh. no, it was his fucking mom. Jesus. Thanks to some help from her grandmother, Kamala is given a little bit more freedom here in Karachi, as Sana deals with the stressed out Maniba. Maniba discovers that her mother Sana had been kind of, you know, hoarding a bit to kind of hold on to the memory of her daughter. And the two of them actually end up sitting down and talking about it. Maniba wanting to take care of Sana suggests, you know, having her move to the States. But Sana questions why her daughter ever left in the first place, worried that, you know, it was simply to get away from her. Maniba explains she needed a fresh start and she was constantly receiving judgment because of her mother and her wild theories, which ultimately made her a social pariah in their town. And because Sana didn't give up on any of these theories, it didn't leave much much room for them to have a good relationship while Maniba was growing up. Once again, I know I've stated this in the past over and over again, but I'm going to say it again. Um, getting rid of the Inhumans of it all has been such a positive for Kamala and her, you know, story in this series. Just because I feel like her origin story being so connected to her family history has led them to really like explore, you know, that dynamic more in mm -hmm. a way that we wouldn't really be allowed to if we had to deal with, you know, the whole Inhumans backstory. Because at this point, one of the biggest strengths of this series is that it's actually a really good family drama going on. Uh, while I enjoyed the conversation uh, Mandiba has with her mother in this scene, it cuts to a mo or it ends in a bit of tension between the two of them, and then it immediately cuts to you know, Maniba talking to Kamala and is very positive and happy. And I was very like confused by that moment. It's very short. It only happens for like a couple seconds. They eat a toffee, but it didn't seem to fit what was just going on in the scene prior. But maybe it's Maniba trying to, you know, connect with her daughter because, you know, she of her bad relationship with her own mom. I agree to a certain extent, but I still think you know, at the end of the day, that conversation she has with her mother, she probably took as a positive or took something positive out of it because it, you know, 
showed her how much her mom still deeply cares for her. The fact that she's, you know, buying this toffee just in case, you know, she comes back Mm. and how desperately, you know, she is clinging to the past. And even the way Kamala's grandmother reacts when Maniba, like, invites her to come and live with them in America. Um, You know, I, I feel like those were all positive takeaways from the conversation. So, you know... I understand what you're saying. There's still tension there. But at the same time, I feel like this was like the first step in their like reconciliation. Kamala and Kareem get to know each other a little bit more while she's out and about. And Waleed actually ends up helping Kamala channel her abilities a little bit better. But while training with the Red Daggers, suddenly the clandestine attack, leading to a chase throughout Karachi. In an effort to protect them and give them more of a chance of running away, Waleed chooses to stop an attacker from getting to Kamala and Kareem instead of defending himself from not who ends up actually killing this was probably the biggest action set piece that we've had in the entire series at this point i thought it was really well done um it was a lot better than the uh, chase scene we had in book of boba fat that's for sure uh-huh. <laughs> we didn't have any Power Rangers on scooters or anything. Um, although if this took place in the Star Wars universe, uh, Waleed would definitely survive, you know, being stabbed like that. Yes, <laughs> I, I made that joke too. Right? <laughs> I was like, Reva survived. Yeah, easily. Because I was like, that was his like shoulder. What the hell? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, either way, Waleed came off as a total badass earlier, though, when he like clears the entire room of the clandestines by himself yeah it's unfortunate that you know they didn't give them more of a moment to really like train together uh i'm hoping like i said before that you know this isn't the extent of the training that kamala is gonna get you know with her powers uh but i'm guessing that's not the case i'm I'm guessing we're gonna see more of that in marvels while waleed's efforts give them some space to actually run away the two of them still end up getting cornered and while kamala is trying to defend herself najma's side comes into contact with the bangle and somehow kamala seems to be transported to the night that her grandmother's train left during the partition so is there a chance that kamala herself gets sana to the train so this was interesting because this didn't feel like a vision this actually felt like she traveled back in the past. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm guessing she's going to see exactly what took place on this night. Um, I thought like this brief scene did a great job of capturing like the sadness, um, you know, of this you know horrible situation. I just love that they're using the origin story of Kamala's powers to explore the historical context of Kamala's culture, which is such a big part of Kamala's character. At the same time, we are again approaching the end of a show, and there's a lot still to happen. <laughs> That's true, but I don't feel like the show's had any like pacing issues. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe a villain issue. I, I mean, I, yes. I'm just not completely 100%. invested in these villains at all. Um, their function seems to be just a means to an end, which I guess is unfortunate because they probably could have used an extra episode to kind of air out their arc a little more to make us care and make them feel more of a threat. Because um, right now it just feels like, you know, I don't know, they're going through the motions. Where I mm-hmm. feel like the true resolution of Kamala's arc is going to be the one between her and her family and her discovering, you know, exactly the source of her power and will she choose to live with them? Uh, which is obviously yes. At least I feel like in the next episode, we'll get a little bit more of like what's going on with Rajma and Aisha uh, during that fateful night. But I I agree. I I do wish that there was just a little bit more to flesh out these villains, especially 
just with how lackluster their abilities and stuff seem to be because it just doesn't seem like there's anything else there they just feel like we threw them in yeah they're kind of generic right villains exactly. of the week uh-huh. um, but like i said like i'm not bumping up against it too much mm-hmm. and maybe part of that's because i am so invested in like the family drama of it all no i mean that's been the better aspect of the show her relationship with her friends and family have just made it so watchable no 100 percent. i mean this show is charming as fuck Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> they better sell that Hulk suit because I'll buy it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they will. Or at least there'll be like a Marvel Legends figure or something like that. You know, like a Comic Con exclusive. I could see that uh-huh. happening. Yeah, I'm assuming next episode is going to revolve around mostly this flashback sequence with a lot of questions being answered. And then once that's resolved, we can move on to our finale. But like I said, I, I haven't had issues with the pacing whatsoever. Because mm-hmm. they do give us a lot of downtime to get to know these characters. And even though, like, these episodes are much more character-driven, I haven't, like, had any problems with the amounts of action or lack of, you know, that we've gotten, like, throughout the series. And part of that might be just knowing that we're going to see Kamala relatively soon after this in, you know, Marvels. So maybe that's why I have a lot more patience for this series? I mean, that probably helps. You know, you're probably gonna get way more action in that. That's gonna be more action-centric. But I, I agree. I feel like I don't need this series to be, you know, an action-packed heavy hitter the way like, uh, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier was. You know, it, this works as it is. It, sure, do I want there to be a better villain? Yeah. yeah. And maybe a little bit, if they're not going to be violent or that interesting with their powers, maybe they could be more manipulative. Their motives could have been stretched out a little bit over maybe two episodes. Yeah, because uh, they to... just reveal right away that she's the villain, right? Like she exactly. has the introduction to Kamala and then literally the next scene we see her, we find out that she's really the villain of the story. Exactly. She's like, oh, I'm tired of waiting. We're going to kill your whole family. Uh-huh, you give right. Your powers. So do you think we're going to see Kamran again? Like, does he also escape uh, the uh, damage control facility? Oh, yeah. I think he's going to escape and he'll show up, make a big save in the like last episode. Yeah, they definitely need a fucking heightened security around that you know facility. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. That was pathetic. That was a pathetic <laughs> sequence for <laughs> security wise. But once I get to backtrack, I mean, I feel like it's a huge testament, you know, to the storytelling in the series and to Kamala as a character. The fact that we're not bumping up against the fact that, you know, this is probably one of the weakest, you know, villains we've seen in like, you know, any of these Disney Plus series at this mm. point. Because if you think about it, just a couple episodes ago, we were saying like, what if they don't introduce a big bad? You know, what if that's not what this series is about? You know, and honestly, I probably would have been OK with that if it was just more of you know, Kamala going on this journey of like self-exploration and, you know, finding out about her powers and everything like that. And, you know, her, you know, coming to terms with the tension between her and her mother. Honestly, I probably would have been okay with it. Yeah, I'd like to see some, you know, punches and kicks being thrown, but I mean, that could have been done in a really elaborate training sequence and I probably would have been okay or, you know, dealing with like the high school bully or something like that. So, um, you know, it it is what it is. I mean, it's just a strong character piece in the long run. Mm -hmm. Or even like just like stopping a few heists here and there. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with like beating up some nameless thugs in an alley. 
right? Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that can be just as exciting. And honestly, at this point, I mean, the clandestines, am I saying that right, Christian? Yeah, the clandestines, okay, yeah. Okay, whatever. They're, I mean, they're just a step above that, right? I mean, we literally had the guy fighting with his belt last episode. <laughs> it's it's still a belt. Like, Is it, it still? They don't... When they when he came out again, I was like, "That's just a belt. They, they, <laughs> There's nothing to it." They felt a little more threatening to me this episode, but not much. <laughs> but anyway, join us next week as we break down episode five of Miss Marvel. Before we move on, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Gentlemen, all men strive for gold in their life, right? Gold medals, gold watches, gold everything. However, there's a certain type of man who goes the extra mile. He walks with the confidence of an eagle and giggles in the face of danger. He's a big hairless winning machine. And when he unzips his pants, he sees platinum. That's right, Manscaped would like to introduce you to their best, biggest, ultimate hygiene bundle yet, the Platinum Package 4.0. Manscaped is the leader below the waist grooming. Now trust them with the whole shebang. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow. Nothing makes you feel more platinum than having your hygiene in check. And with convention season upon us, you're going to want to make sure you're smelling good and feeling good while you wait in line. Manscaped's brand new Platinum Package 4.0 is the biggest bundle they've ever offered, giving you a bulk discount on Manscaped's top products. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. They've designed this package to allow you to fully align your entire hygiene routine with their elite products. Inside this Platinum Package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo Plus Conditioner, Ultra Premium Deodorant, Crop Preserver Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner, Anti-Chafing Boxers, and the Shed Travel Bag to hold your goods while traveling. The Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer and Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin safe technology to protect your delicate parts and holes. Both are actually water resistant so you can shave with less mess. In addition to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with an ultra premium body wash and ultra premium two in one plus conditioner. You'll have your skin and hair feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. And don't forget to apply their aluminum free ultra premium deodorant for that cologne quality scent on the go. Thankfully, their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve this problem for you. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Platinum Package 4.0. The Manscaped Boxers and Shed Travel Bag bring your comfort and boxers to another level. The Platinum Package 4.0 covers all bases from head to toe. It's the best bang for your shebang. So, listeners, get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com using our code 20NerdShow. It's time you enjoyed the finer things in life and get yourself a platinum package for your platinum package. And now I've got a review for Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Warning spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Elvis ahead. You have been warned. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things. But in the end, you gotta listen to yourself.
that moment, Elvis the man was sacrificed, and Elvis the god was born. I'm gonna show you what the real Elvis is like tonight! You're looking for trouble? This biopic covers the story of Elvis from his childhood to rock star fame while dealing with a complex relationship with his manager, the snowman, Colonel Tom Parker. Elvis was directed and written by Baz Luhrmann and stars Tom Hanks and Austin Butler. Like most of these films we have been getting lately featuring, you know, some of the biggest musicians of the past, they take their stories and kind of spruce them up a bit for Hollywood. But these dramatizations, you know, can be expected, especially after what we saw with Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, that story was completely changed. But anyway, while I feel like the early years of Elvis weren't explored enough in this tale, it was clear that Baz Luhrmann had a story to tell between Elvis and his manager, Tom Parker. Tom Parker is played by Tom Hanks, and he comes off as the perfect leech of a man. I mean, it's not too often you get to see Tom Hanks in a villainous role, but he did a great job of really making you hate this man. Along with Elvis played by Austin Butler, that really ended up being a much more captive performance than what I expected based on you know the trailers before the movie. You know, Elvis has been so deeply ingrained into pop culture, seeing anyone play him, especially in the trailer, made it just feel like it was a cosplay of Elvis rather than the man himself. But Austin Butler does a fantastic job in the role, and Baz Luhrmann did a great job of exploring the darker side of his story. Once you really got into the meat of Elvis and his manager, it was easy to get enveloped by that story. But it was really the first third of the movie that was, you know, poorly paced in my eyes and used way too much special effects that really took me out of the experience in comparison to the rest of the film. If getting through his childhood at breakneck speeds wasn't enough, the literal zooming camera and CGI effects that we have seen Lerman use in films like The Great Gatsby are just jarring and misplaced. It felt more like, you know, the opening scene to Speed Racer than it did a biopic, but that just seems to be this director's style. I mean, I understand Elvis is a flashy guy and they probably wanted to go big with that side of the character at first before getting behind the veil of it all, but there were probably more practical ways of, of going about it. Another Lerman film trait that carried into this one was the addition of hip hop tracks, you know, which I felt like worked in a film like Great Gatsby as a way to kind of like spruce up this old story. However, this is a film about a musician who is regarded as one of the greatest of all time and how he actually came about his music. And while there is a great use of Elvis's tracks and the original originals that inspired his recordings as well, the additions of like Doja Cat and more felt so random in this. Doja Cat's track in general though, and I don't know if this was, you know, just a mixing mistake or an editing, you know, decision that just went wrong, but it just wasn't actually blended into the sound for some reason. You know, for some reason I could hear both the remixed track of You Ain't Nothing But A Hound Dog and the original playing at the exact same time, which, you know, both have completely different drum timing. So for me as a former drummer, I was kind of losing my mind along with the song kind of fading in and out over 30 seconds. It was just all so weird in that moment and actually just didn't do anything for the scene. I mean, really the song in general just felt like it was made to make you know the soundtrack more appealing to a younger generation, which is fine and all, don't get me wrong, I am a fan of all the artists used in this film, actually. It was just some weird choices made to include them in the film. But all right, enough of me ranting, my grade for Elvis is going to be a B minus, mostly just from that first third of the film, as once you know it actually settled down and got into the story that Lerman clearly wanted to tell, things kind of just fell into place quite well, even 
even if it did take some liberties with the history of this legend. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This last week in gaming, it seems God of War fans' restlessness invoked a response from game director Corey Barlog. With no new updates for God of War Ragnarok over the last month, which you know has been stock full of gaming news thanks to IGN's Summer of Gaming, filling in kind of that void that E3 used to have, many God of War fans have been kind of up in arms about not getting anything since really you know September of last year when we got our first glimpse of gameplay. With an expected release for 2022, many believe the game game may in fact be delayed into next year, especially after rumors surfaced about announcements being made by the end of June. When a tweet by the game director Corey Barlog confirmed that the game hasn't been delayed at all. In following tweets, Corey went on to ask players to be patient as if it were up to him, all the information about the game would already be out. Seems like Sony has a special time when they wants to announce the official release of the game. I'm sure during one of their you know state of plays, they'll probably announce something where it's like, oh, it's the God of War state of play event. They'll probably do something like that in the future. But on top of that, there was a little bit of information on the collector's edition leak as reported by Tom Henderson of Xputer. Um, Henderson made note that the collector's edition would include a 1-1 scale replica of Mjolnir, Thor's hammer, plus badges, a map of the game, and more. And there's going to be a cheaper version as well of the collector's edition that will simply focus on the game and the hammer. With only six months remaining in this year, you have to imagine the game is set for kind of like a holiday release, most likely November if I had to guess. But for the impatient that are out there, there are plenty of games coming out this year worthy of giving a try. And if you're having some reservations about picking up a title, why not stop by our Twitch channel where you can see us playing the latest and greatest that come out this year. I know I'm trying to try a bunch of new games outside of my you know wheelhouse on Twitch. Also, we would love to hear some suggestions from you guys. If there's some awesome titles that you want to check out or have been playing, let us know. We'll give it a try on stream. You know, having picked up a PS5 for my birthday, I plan on diving headfirst into Sony exclusives upon their release. And over the rest of the summer, we're going to be playing um, both the Horizon games starting this upcoming Wednesday. So join us live on Twitch as we add another day to our week of streaming. But all right, now let's move on to wrestling. Bad intentions, violent intentions. Eddie, don't do this, Eddie. Eddie, don't oh, do it, no. Eddie, no! So Christian, unfortunately, we had to pull an audible this week uh, because I'm dealing with a bout of COVID after, you know, going two years without getting it. Uh, it is currently kicking my ass. So we don't necessarily have enough time because I don't physically think I'll make it through this episode uh, to do a full review on The Forbidden Door. And really, my recall of the show is probably not going to be great just because I watched it through a COVID haze. Um, you know, but I mean, overall thoughts, Christian, what did you think about Forbidden Door? Um, I expected that I would enjoy the pay-per-view and I did because it had a lot of fantastic matches. Uh, there's a few hiccups here and there, but nothing that really stopped me from enjoying the overall experience. You know, um, uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, Adam Cole got injured when he did yeah. right at the finish of that match. I mean, that match was damn near perfect for a fatal four way and, and then it just kind of fell off right at the end. Yeah, that sucks whenever you have an injury like that. I mean, they did the mm -hmm. right thing by going home right away. So I'm glad to see that because, I mean, we've seen so many cases of them just, you know, trying to kind of push through regardless of injury. So I was glad to see Jay White, like, jump on him and make the pin right away. 
uh, once he realized seemingly, you know, that something was wrong. Other than that, you know, Moxley versus Tanahashi was a great match. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I needed to see Moxley bleed in it. I don't know if that really fit the whole tone, but I get what I get what they were doing. It, you know, it seemed like it came out of nowhere, too, right? Did, yeah. Did I just miss something <laughs> in like one of my coffee fits? Because I like was like, wait a second. Like, where did when did he get busted open? Um, I think it's like a corner spot, but it's like the whole story was, you know, Tanahashi doesn't want to fight this type of match, but he's going up against, you know, that hardcore style. I understand the story, but, uh, you know. I, I didn't need it <laughs> necessarily. Uh, it was still a fantastic match either way. I felt like almost the Fatal 4-Way should have went on last. Yeah, it, it feels like, you know, and I know AEW and Tony Khan aren't going to see it this way. But like, you know, the IWGP you know, title is, is more prestigious than an interim, you know, AEW mm-hmm. title. Uh, you know, if it was the AEW, the actual AEW title, then that's a different story. But I get it. But I'm with you 100%. You know, overall with the pay-per-view, I, I knew I was going to enjoy it, you know, mm-hmm. because you have so much talent in the ring, you know, and we're seeing a lot of, like, first-time matches. Um, yeah, was it the dream matches that we were all hoping for? No. But, I mean, I, I think I, we all knew that wasn't going to be the case from the get-go. Like, they're not going to, you know, blow their wad all at once, you know, especially since they, they're going to have a working relationship for now on. And hopefully this isn't the last time we have a Forbidden Door event. Um, it sounds like we're going to have a sequel to this, you know, in the near future. So, um, you know, they were dealt a horrible hand. And I think they did their best with what they got. I mean, the Young Bucks were in an interview and they said that their match changed like literally like, you know, five to six times or something crazy like that. So, I mean, they're just, you know, they got bit by the injury bug. And then you add that with all the politics of dealing with a different company. I mean, it's a pretty daunting task to, like, put a card together. So I have to, you know, give Tony Khan credit where credit's due. Um, This was an incredibly entertaining show. What's exciting about this is how much meat is left on the bone now between these two companies. I mean, the sequel to this pay-per-view potentially could be twice as good because hopefully at that point, AEW is like, you know, has their complete roster back, mm-hmm. you know, knock on wood and they're all healthy. But quickly, what was your match of the night? Probably Osprey versus Orange Cassidy. It was an awesome match. And at the end, it led to possibly Shibata versus Orange Cassidy in the future. Since he didn't seem to get what was going on. Yeah, I don't think that's actually happening. But I know. But I mean, it was a cool moment. Me, honestly, it was probably the Bullet Club versus, you know, the dudes with attitudes. Just Uh because it was such a showcase for Sting. You could tell he was just having the time of his life out there. Mm. I mean, just everything was so well done, especially in the beginning, like having like the fake Sting in the rafters and then the silhouette of Sting before he jumps off the scaffolding. I mean, just picture perfect. I mean, like he could honestly retire on this match. Um, But, you know, the crazy 63 year old probably isn't going to do that. But I just love the fact that it seemed like everyone went out there trying to make this Sting's moment. And for me, growing up a Sting fan, I mean, this is going to be one of his like top 10 moments of all time for me, honestly. I mean, it's one of the best like post WCW moments he's ever had. I don't know why I kept expecting him to come in like Shawn Michaels, though. <laughs> Full, like just swinging down to the I ring. was terrified that he was going to actually bungee cord down. 
though, like old school, like, you know, Nitro yeah. style. So <laughs> I was happy they didn't do that. Not that jumping off the, you know, the entryway was any better. Anyway, let's move on to Blood and Guts. Do we want to talk the first hour? Or do we want to just move on to the actual Blood and Guts match? The first hour was okay, I guess. Um, but it was nothing to write home about. You know, for me, it was all about, you know, FT housing, you know, versus uh-huh. the, the ass boys. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wasn't expecting FTR to show up with Dan Housen when they said that, you know, he uh, he needed a partner or was a mystery or whatever. You know, I was expecting hooking someone else. Exactly. So I was surprised to see FTR out there, but they got a tremendous pop. I'm also wondering who Billy Gunn is going, if Billy Gunn's just going to end up with the acclaimed, which I think would be actually a pretty fun team if they were to do that. I don't want to see them break up yet. I've been enjoying the act with the acclaimed and, you know, the ass boys and everything like that. It felt like they're really getting over. I Mm. I don't know where it goes. And I was kind of confused when they first put this faction together. But after the fact, I've been loving it. So I'm kind of like, oh, no, it, it feels too soon to break them apart. I'm wondering if, you know, this is all a ruse and, you know, Billy Gunn ends up signing with, you know, his sons, which would only make sense, turning on the acclaimed and then the acclaimed could now be baby faces going up against the ass boys. Feels like a roundabout way to get there, but I just can't imagine Billy Gunn, you know, siding against his kids. I just can't imagine the acclaimed coming out the faces in this because, you know, after doing the whole fake injury spot for yeah, months. Yeah, but the acclaimed are the ones who are over here. More over, right? yeah. You know, nah. they, everyone loves Max Caster and his rap and everyone pops huge for Anthony Bowens, you know, uh, you know, for his part of the whole spiel. So I, I feel like, you know, that's probably where they're headed. But I don't know. I feel like there's still more time to get there. I'm curious to see if they actually put Danhausen eventually in a real feud. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it feels like he's kind of like the company mascot who just kind of jumps around. Uh, and he's just super over right now. So they try to put him on every show. Um, I have a feeling that, you know, him teaming with FTR was a one time only type deal. Oh, yeah. But with that being said, I feel like he's so over right now. You've got to find some kind of program for him to work. But at this point, it's more of is Tony willing to put him over as a legitimate wrestler in the ring? Because it feels like he's still a little gun shy about that for some reason. Yeah. But I mean, mean, he's he's worked that way, like in the past. So I don't know why, you know, now I I mean, I get it. it. It's pretty fucking goofy. You know, the gimmick. But Uh it's over, and, like, the dude can actually wrestle, so... But, I mean, if Orange Cassidy is a thing in AEW, I don't know why Danhausen can't be a thing in AEW. And I'm not saying, you know, Danhausen's on the same level ability-wise, but, I mean, he still can work. Exactly. Like, I... That's how I would imagine they would have to push him if they were going to do it. And it would have to be the same style that they were doing early, like first year Orange Cassidy. Yes, exactly. Where he surprises people with his ability. Exactly. I will say I was a little annoyed that Thunder Rosa wasn't on the card. It felt like, you know, she had a big match on the pay-per-view. She's one of your champions. She should be featured at least. Um, it, it felt like I think most of the champions were featured, you know, on this show. You know, even, you know, some of them just in backstage segments, but they were still on the show. Now, I know she's supposed to be traveling to Japan. So I don't know if that's the reason why she wasn't there, but you could still do a vignette or something. Right. And also, like, if you're going to have Jade on the show, I don't think it should be like some glorified enhancement match. You know, 
Like, I was like, who is this? Who is she wrestling? Especially when you have, <laughs> you know, a deeper women's roster at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, feature some of that talent. You know, not someone that's not even under contract. You know, I, at the end of the match, it seems like maybe they're going to do something with her. Like, maybe she's going to be trying to, like, petition to join the baddies. But there's so many other women that you could be doing this with. And, like, the whole feud with Athena and, you know, Chris Statlander and Jade... Just feels like it's losing momentum. Like they're doing the same thing day in and day out. Like it's time to move on to the next chapter. Like set up some kind of match at this point. Yeah, it's it's getting it, while it hasn't gone as long. It's definitely getting towards that like Ty Conti, you know, storyline where it just kept going and going and going. It was the same thing week after week. A hundred percent. At least give us like a tag match between like you know uh-huh. with Statlander and uh, Athena versus Jade and you know Kira Hogan. Have one of them get the pin against Hogan and then set up a match between them and you know Jade. Or make it a three-way. But I feel like Athena needs to be wrestling every week to get her over. Because we see this too often with, you know, new people entering the company. They get the big first day pop, but then afterwards, it's like they're kind of put on the back burner and everyone starts to forget about them. You know, either they're stuck in like backstage vignettes or, you know, they're on dark, you know, beating enhancement talent. It's like, that's not going to do them any good. You got to put them out there front and center. Even if it's enhancement mm-hmm. talent matches, you know, put them on Dynamite, put them on Rampage, you know, or Dynamite, f- fuck Rampage at this point. Uh, but, uh, you know, have them out there featured, you know, make them a big deal. And like I said, you they don't have to be enhancement matches. You could have them going over, you know, mid-card talent. It's not going to hurt that talent because I'm sure they need the reps too. And it gives them camera time on top of it. There's no shame in losing against a talent like Athena. So No, exactly. I mean, you can have Athena versus like Penelope Ford yeah. just for a match. It, for just, match it feels like sometimes like Tony's a little overprotective with some, you know, of the wrestlers with their wins mm-hmm. and losses. Where it's like, you know, mid-car talent's mid-car talent for a reason. Um, and just because they're, you know, you know, laying down and, you know, taking the pin here doesn't mean eventually somewhere down the line they can't be elevated again to, you know, main event status. And like part of me understands you're in the middle of trying to book Forbidden Door and you're headed towards Blood and Guts. But this could have been like the first night of a new chapter for Athena. And he just didn't pull the trigger. He's just she's just some girl who's running out with Chris Statlander right now. You know, and I think Chris Statlander's popularity surprised him, and that's why she's part of this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, like, what direction he's going to go into. You know, like, are we going to have a three-way, or, you know, are we going to have a Athena? Because I could honestly see Athena losing to Jade, and that's going to lead to Jade versus Statlander again. You know, because it feels like Statlander's honestly more over at this point. Which is crazy to say, considering where she was at like three months ago on the card. Like, it all goes back to that one promo she had against Ruby Soho in the Owen uh, tournament. She's an AW original. And we won't even get into where the hell, you know, MJF is, so. But But that's enough ranting. Uh, You know, I understood, like, most of this, you know, show was going to be revolving around the Blood and Guts match. uh, And rightfully so. Uh... I don't know about you, but I highly enjoyed the match itself. I mean, it was just violent chaos, which I was expecting. Uh, I do think there was some missed opportunities here and there, uh, and that was all kind of due to production issues. 
uh, just, you know, cameramen being out of place, you know, timing issues, things happening during commercial breaks. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you should never have someone taking out a bag of glass and pile driving their opponent's head in it in picture in picture during the commercial break. Yeah, there was a couple spots like that. But overall, the match was still, you know, entertaining to watch. I do think I enjoyed the Anarchy match a little bit more than this, but that's just because they were able to do so much more with that, you know, expanding across the entire arena. Yes, and I will say uh, Santana was hurt during this match. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much right when he entered the cage. I'm sure that threw things off quite a bit. Um, there were some moments where I was confused by, like, I didn't understand what the hell was going on with the rubbing alcohol at all. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> right? Like, that, they felt like, at first I thought it was going to be, like, lighter fu- fluid or something like that. Because, I, you know, for me, the way in my mind, and just because it didn't happen this way doesn't mean the match wasn't good, by the way. But in my mind, the match was going to end with Eddie Kingston setting, you know, Jericho on fire somehow, like throwing a fireball in his face or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like I had Jericho like offering him the handshake, which is kind of what started this whole match. Jericho refused to shake Eddie's hand. I mean, that moment led to this, you know, entire blood feud that we've had over the last, you know, three months or so. Which along the way, one of the biggest moments was when Jericho, you know, became a wizard and threw the fireball at Eddie. Um, even though I felt like they didn't sell that long enough, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. So what I thought was going to happen, you know, in the last moment of desperation, Jericho was going to try to offer his hand, you know, to Eddie. And then Eddie was going to act like he was going to go for it and then throw a fireball at Jericho. So, I mean, that didn't happen at all. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they pulled out a table at one point, so I thought maybe they were going to set that on fire. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just felt like fire was going to be involved in this match. Um, so, I mean, when I saw, like, Jericho and Ty Conti, like, desperately trying to get that rubbing alcohol back into the cage, I was no, like, oh, exactly. well, this is going to lead to somewhere. Because John Moxley pulls it out in the beginning, and I'm assuming it's the same bottle, right? <laughs> he pulls that on the beginning, he goes to use it, he gets stopped, and then all of a sudden we see, like, a shot of Taikanti like, trying to force the bottle back into the cage to Jericho, and then the camera, like, panned away quickly. So I was like, okay, this, this bottle must be important, but then nothing really came of it, right? No, like, even the spot that it's used for to just splash it in Moxley's face, I mean, he could have just picked up thumbtacks if it was that big yes. of an issue and done the same thing. Yes, right? Like, yeah, no, it really didn't add anything to the mm-hmm. match whatsoever. I do think one wrestler that didn't get enough spotlight was Wheeler. I, I was definitely expecting a little bit more from him in the match, and he didn't really get to do too many, like, big spots. Like, I felt like he should have started off the match instead of claudio oh i could have seen that like maybe Mm -hmm. have wheeler in there against garcia since those were both guys teased for like the blackpool combat club originally and then have those two phase off they did have a moment where they were like trading blows in the middle of the ring that pops the crowd big yeah that was weren't that was really (laughs) yes yeah it wasn't shot very well you know um, and it, it felt like they could have done just a better job production-wise mapping out the match, you know, mm-hmm. for the director to kind of know what to focus on when. Even though I hate a lot of what Kevin Dunn has done with WWE's production, the one thing I will give him credit for 
is like those bigger moments, you know, story wise, the WWE don't tend to miss as much as like AEW does. But that's also because they have to go through a million different channels to get shit approved. So while you get the freedom of being a wrestler and being an artist in AEW, you know, you do have to run that risk of, you know, possibly not having your shit display properly on the canvas half the time. The match also, I felt like, stirred off really clunky between Sammy and Claudio. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, we haven't talked about this, but it's awesome having Claudio part, his, part of AEW. I mean, he looks like he's living his best life. He's just so happy to be there. Yes. Um, I don't know what the hell Sammy was doing, though. In the beginning of this, like it was I just think him. he was supposed to jump over him immediately at the start of the match, and, and he it just, missed. Yeah, they just were—I don't know—they weren't meshing well. Uh-huh. You know, uh, I will give the announcers credit here because they, you know, kind of pulled the story together for me. Because I was like, "What the fuck is Sammy doing?" Like he's just jumping around the ropes and shit. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Okay, he's trying to stall for time." I get it, but at the same time, I felt like that led to a flat start. You know, for the match. Oh, speaking of missed moments, I, I don't know if I just looked away for a second or what, but I look up and there's Angelo Parker sticking out of the cage, hanging upside down. And I was so confused. <laughs> yes, right. It was an awesome visual, but I was like, how did he get on the outside of the cage? I was like, are, are like uh, the Blackpool Combat Club going to string all of like JAS <laughs> on the outside of the cage like that upside down? Because that'd be pretty fucking badass. But that that wasn't the case at all i mean it was just for a split second and then they kind of like you know went away from it so i have no clue exactly how that happened but it kind of takes away from you know jericho eventually getting out of the cage mm-hmm. you know with uh ty conti's help later on because then i spent the rest of the time trying to figure out like how did he get his leg stuck in there did he fall off the top of the cage and his leg got like trapped like there were so many sick ideas i was starting to come up with because I didn't know what happened there. What do you think about Ruby uh, Riot coming out? I mean, in the like promo package uh, before the match, mm-hmm. they had her talking about Eddie a lot and kind of like you know the kind of guy he is and everything like that. Um, and you know, in the past, she's been involved in some of the segments backstage and everything, like coming to his aid when he needs help. Um, but they've never really talked about like them having like any kind of friendship or anything like that. So it did feel a little out of nowhere. That she was the one to run down and like, you know, make the save. mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, I would have been surprised. Like, uh, I think I would have been more surprised if I hadn't seen that little video package right beforehand. Like that helped me at least put two and two together. But you're right. Like before that, I had no idea that these two were friends. It feels a little like convoluted. I mean, Uh it would have helped if like her and Ty were in some kind of feud or program like leading up to it. But I don't know, maybe they, you know, somehow end up being associated together. As long as it's not some weird, like, mixed tag match between Eddie Kingston, Ruby Ruby Soho, sorry, not to pull a Taz here, and (laughs) (laughs) fucking Ty Conti and uh, Sammy. I gotta say, too, like, you know, when the match started and Sammy came out and started climbing the cage, I totally forgot Sammy was part of this match. And all of a sudden, my anxiety level went up so high. Seeing Sammy, I was like, oh, my God. What is he going to do off this fucking cage? Because you, you know, knew he was going off. He's yeah. so insane. <laughs> I mean, in the long run, the bump he took off the top of the cage into the tables and crash pads was probably the most harmless option. You know, mm. and I use that, obviously, that word lightly harmless. But the most, you know, safest option he could have taken but it was still a little terrifying, you know, seeing him up there. 
No, he should have went full McFoley, just slammed down on practically nothing. <laughs> no, I great. don't. I saw that happen live. I don't need to see that again. <laughs> I was fucking terrified. And they, they have enough injuries right now. Uh-huh. Um, I was a little worried, too. Like, there was that weird section of the cage that was like plexiglass. I was like, is someone going through that? Like, Yeah, <laughs> I was expecting them to have someone go through the middle of the cage. Like, I thought oh, that was going yeah, to happen for sure. Because in the middle, too, like, it's mm-hmm. a different color. You have the force panels like in different paint right yeah so it's like is that like a targeted area for a purpose you know um but thankfully that wasn't the case because i i don't need to see someone go off the top of the cage in a war game style match you know maybe i'm more of a purist but i'm fine with all <laughs> the shit happening inside the cage it's not hell of the cell uh-huh i did enjoy though um Eddie's sick smile there <laughs> after pushing yes, Sammy yes. off the cage. That was, that was a great, great moment. Now that was a great moment. Speaking of Eddie, I was surprised that they had that exchange between Claudio and him before the match started with that with them like fist bumping. Did mm-hmm. you catch that? Um, just kind of like we're cool, whatever. Uh, especially since it felt like they were teasing, you know, at the end of Forbidden Door, the tension between the two. And they even talked about it beforehand on the show tonight. So I was I was thinking that that was going to be more of a running theme throughout the match. Them kind of like jaw jacking back and forth. Um, but they seem to be mostly on the same page the entire time until the very end where they start to really drop some heavy hints of what's to come between the two. I mean, they played the story very well, especially having Kingston and Jericho come in at the end because you got Kingston's like pure focus as he went into the ring, and which was fucking another great moment where he's just smacking people with the kendo <laughs> stick trying to get to Jericho. Not even giving them a second thought. No. <laughs> like he's mainly focused on Jericho. Mm-hmm. But it, that story, you know, they planted the seeds there beforehand, said, hey, they're not going to, you know, they showed you that they're going to work together as a team. And then at the very end, and, you know, you think Kingston's finally getting his revenge, going to have Jericho tap out, and then Claudio gets the win. You know, well, that was... You, yeah, and you think about it, it makes sense for where Kingston was headspace-wise. Yeah. Because Kingston's sole purpose in life over the last couple of months is to get revenge on Jericho. So it's a case of, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You know, mm-hmm. he's willing to let bygones be bygones for this match and put their prior, you know, history behind them just to get to Jericho. And I agree 100%. Um, I like the fact that, you know, Jericho, you know, was the last person to enter. And, you know, Kingston, on the other hand, was the last person to enter. That was really the only way to do that. I just didn't like the fact that, like, Jericho entered and then right away was jumped by Ortiz. Mm -hmm. And I understand, like, he just had a hair versus hair match against Ortiz, I was like, let Jericho have a moment to, like, enter and stand tall amongst the carnage before Ortiz, you know, gets his little moment with Jericho. I do feel like, you know, um, Claudio was just a perfect plug and play for um, Danielson because I feel like they would have done the same finish with Danielson as well. I agree. I agree. I'm I'm 100% sure that that's probably what was planned there. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Claudio and his history and, you know, prior feud with Kingston, I mean, he's the perfect substitute, really. Before Sammy fell off the cage, too, I was hoping that we would get a moment where, like, both teams were on top of the cage, you know, at war with each other. Um, just for that visual, mm-hmm. I thought it would just be amazing. Um, but 
at the end of the day, it is what it is. I mean, we did get, you know, that celebratory, like, scene, at least, at the end. I just don't know if they needed to bring the ref up there. Like, I was like, why would he climb up? <laughs> did Ty take out Audrey? Oh, yeah. She um, that's the first smacked time we've Audrey seen, down, yeah. That's the first time we've seen Audrey take a bump, right? I don't think I've ever seen that before. I was a little outraged. <laughs> You don't see that in AEW, right? Reps taking bumps. That doesn't happen very often. No, not that often. I also thought it was smart that they didn't like pan back down to what was going on inside the cage. You know, once Jericho and Kingston Mm -hmm. were up on top, you know, just like make the soul like focus on, you know, Kingston and Jericho. You don't need to show the carnage down below. And I'm sure part of that was probably them trying to get Santana out of there. Because I guess once he got hurt, he kind of like went between the cage and the ring and was hanging out Mm. underneath there and then like at some point like i think once they went up on top they came out and grabbed him quickly because you know he wasn't obviously climbing that fucking cage at the end so i feel like every time santana and ortiz get some like momentum something always ends up getting in their way yeah i mean you hate to see all these great wrestlers out right now especially like it's just it's insane hopefully um, AEW is able to utilize a lot of their younger talent to try and like build some new stars out of this. Cause I mean, they have the roster to do it. I mean, well, they have plenty of people. I mean, here's the thing. Everyone's been bitching about like how bloated the roster is right now, us included, but in the long run, it ended up being a blessing in disguise. I mean, the fact that they were able to put on the pay-per-view that they were able to put on and then have this giant multi-man, like, you know, uh, blood and guts match is a small miracle when you look at their injury list right now. Yes. You know, I mean, they're running like in double digits easily. But you're absolutely right. This is the perfect time for some young talent to step up and like get to that next level. You know, grab that brass ring as, you know, someone else on the other channel would say. But anyway, we kind of talked about the ending of the match already. Right when both, you know, Kingston and Claudio put on their submission moves you knew Claudio was going to get the tap out first from, you know, Daddy Magic, you know, before Jericho would ever tap out. Uh, so I knew exactly where they were going. But with that being said, just because it was predictable doesn't mean that it didn't make sense story-wise, especially since it seems like we're probably headed towards a Claudio and, you know, Kingston feud. Honestly, like, they had so much time left at the end, I was kind of, like, waiting for Kingston to hit his back fist on Claudio mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, But that never came to be. But I'm sure that's, you know, only a dynamite away. You know, Uh, do you feel like this feud between Kingston and Jericho is finally over with? Or do we see another chapter? Like, do we get a one on one match between the two? I think they'll they'll pause for right now. I think we'll get like Jericho talking shit sometime later and then any Kingston will go back after him. They'll revisit it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I I feel like. It started with a one-on-one match, though. I mm-hmm. feel like it needs to end with a one-on-one match. But, I mean, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong, or I just really want to see Kingston throw a fireball in Jericho's face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it feels like they're definitely, you know, headed towards Claudio versus Kingston sooner than later. I mean, I could see Jericho versus um, Kingston for All In, like, as their, like, final match. That's just so far away, though. I mean, you're talking about, like, two and a half months, right? Yeah, but I mean, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen them push a storyline this long, so. 
Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't. I don't think I need that in my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd much rather have Claudio versus Kingston at all in. My big hope, though, looking into the future, is that we see Kingston get a world title shot at the uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium show. You know, since it's in New York and everything like that, Kingston's backyard, I think it'd be huge if they build him up enough to, like, you know, feel like a worthy number one contender, especially with his history with CM Punk, if Punk is back at that time, that match would be huge. That would be a great moment, but do you have Punk, like, on his return, you know, lose to Kingston? You're assuming that's when his return is, though. He could return beforehand, have a couple matches, and then have a match at All In, and then... Because I think All In is... uh, Or All Out, sorry. Is uh, September 6th or September 4th? Yeah, it's like early September, yeah. Yeah, so... And that would be two weeks afterwards, the uh, Grand Slam, whatever the hell they're calling it. Uh, So, I mean, why not? I mean, if you think about it, both Hangman and Kingston were both saying pretty much the same thing about Punk in their promos, you know, saying that, you know, we don't really know the real Punk, you know, that there's a different Punk backstage mm-hmm. and just kind of warning everyone. So it, it feels like it leads into that storyline if they want to go that route. I could see Moxley playing into that, too, if they are if those two are the ones that end up going up against each other. That makes sense. Speaking of Moxley, we found out that he'll be defending his title soon. Which is a good thing. I was hoping that it was in a case where he'd hardly like defend the title before like All Out or before Punk got back. But on Rampage, which we're recording before Friday, so we haven't seen this yet, uh, there was a Royal Rampage Battle Royal. Which is like, okay, dude, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch with the name. But it was a 20-man Battle Royal to earn the first shot at uh, John Moxley's interim AEW World Championship. According to the match graphic, uh, the competitors who were in the match were Frankie Kazarian, John Silver, Roosh, Orange Cassidy, Hangman Page, Penta, Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Starks, Keith Lee, Swerve, Darby Allen, Dustin Rhodes, The Butcher, The Blade, Max Caster, Tony Nese, Matt Hardy, Dante Martin, and Brody King. And Christian, in a surprise, the winner of the match was none other than Brody King. So I was really surprised with that result, mm-hmm. uh, especially with Hangman Page involved in the match. Once I saw him on the graphic, I was like, oh, Page is going to win this. This is going to lead to some kind of program between Moxley and Page, which only makes sense. But apparently they're not ready for that. Uh, Brody King, I mean, I'm glad for the guy. I think, I mean, he's a true force to be reckoned with, but he hasn't been featured where it feels like he's a legitimate contender for that belt and a legitimate threat against moxley no exactly you know it just feels like he's gonna end up being cannon fodder for the sake of cannon fodder i'm not a fan of that i mean it's okay to have so i'm hoping it's a case where you know he gets over even in losing i'm sure that's what's gonna end up happening because he's a talented guy but at the same time like if you want to get people like really interested in like you know moxley's first title match why not put him up against someone like a Darby Allen or Keith Lee, where, you you know, even though most likely it's not going to happen, you feel like there's somewhat of a threat of mm. Moxley losing the title here in his first defense. I mean, I can see it as a situation where Brody King loses, then Aleister Black or Malachi Black, I should say, comes out and attacks him. And that starts a program between the two of them in the meantime. Or even between the two factions, right? Because then you have like Blackpool Combat Club going up against the House of Black. Yes. And that's interesting. So maybe that's the route they're going to go in right now. 
because uh, I would definitely be invested in that. But if this is just along the lines of, you know, Moxley's other title defenses when he was the champion, you know, like, like against like Jake Hager or, um, or Brian Cage or Lance Archer. I mean, those all felt like kind of like placeholder matches where we're exactly. just kind of like mm-hmm. treading water to tread water, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's not going to do a lot to drive a lot of eyes on your product. But like I said, I'm sure it's going to be a hell of a match. So as long as it's, you know, leading to something, I'm fine mm-hmm. with it. I can't imagine, you know, Malachi Black. Like if imagine in some bizarre world where Brody King wins, doesn't he have to like immediately give the title to his leader. They haven't established <laughs> that relationship, though, between Black and, you know, Brody King. Hmm. Like, it doesn't necessarily feel like, you know, Brody King subservient to Malachi Black. It feels like almost they're more partners, okay. even though I'm sure it's implied. But I, I mean, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I guess I just assumed, you know. No, I mean, it, it's a, it is the faction is called House of Black. So, yeah. <laughs> Or maybe it just leads to tension between the two. Who knows? You know, but that's WWE booking, you know, uh-huh. where all factions can only last about six months. By the way, I'm going to go back to getting my ass kicked by COVID. Make sure to join us next week as we talk more AEW Dynamite. And maybe Bunny in the Bank? <laughs> don't, don't lie to the people. <laughs> Unless Cody Rhodes is the one at the end of the night holding up the briefcase, we're probably not talking, you know, Money in the Bank. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some Amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, David, what are we talking about next week? Well, next week, hopefully if I'm COVID free, we'll have that review that we promised last week for Black Phone. Uh, We'll also have a review for Stranger Things Volume 2. And we'll be breaking down Miss Marvel Episode 5. Plus, whatever's going down in AEW. My name's Christian. My name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Say, man, show me that crazy little walk you just did there. Slow down some. You ain't nothing but a... I like that guitar. It sounded good. 